Psalm 119 and verse 49. Uh, Psalm 119 is divided up into 22 sections, 22 eight-verse sections, all based on the Hebrew alphabet. So look at verse 49. Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy law. I remembered the, thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night and have kept thy law this I had because I kept thy precepts. So we're going to, as we go through this passage, we're going to look at this first word in verse 49, remember. Remember. And that's kind of the theme of this section is what we are to remember from the word. And so the first thing that we see is remember the word. Remember the word. And it's an interesting thing. He asks, he doesn't ask for a new promise from God. He doesn't ask for a new revelation from God. He asks God to remember what he, God, has said. It's interesting. And and we're going to start to see what is he talking about that he wants God to remember. Verse 49 again, remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. He is so grateful that he has received the word that he embraces it with his whole heart, and then he begs the Lord to deal with him according to it. You know, I I don't know about you all, but sometimes I struggle in my own prayer life. How many of you would say that that's where you are as well? Um, Have you ever participated in an all-night prayer meeting? How many of you have ever done that? You know, you sign up, and so I remember when I was a kid, we did that at my dad's church, and I might have been 15, 16 years old, and so I signed up for my hour and I prayed and prayed through every request I had and cried out to God. And, and man, it was awesome. And I looked at my watch and it had been five minutes. You all know what I'm talking about? And it's so interesting. The famous uh, uh, orphanage uh, uh, man, jo- uh, George Mueller, he would get up early in the morning and pray, and he was known for praying in all of the support for the orphanage. He, would, he wouldn't tell people his needs. He would just pray for those needs, Beaumont. Um, and it, so and God would provide his needs. And one of my favorite stories is he was from Bristol, England, and Spurgeon had gone to preach in Bristol. And Spurgeon had his own orphanage in London, and so while he was in Bristol preaching, someone gave a large donation to his orphanage. And so he tried to go to sleep that night, and he said, I have just raised money for my London orphanage in Bristol that already has needs. And he couldn't get to sleep, and the Lord worked on him so much, he got up in the middle of the night, went and pounded on Mueller's door. Mueller opens the door, and he said, here, and left. And he got home, and in the mail was a check for exactly the same amount that he had just handed to Mueller. But the interesting, one of the interesting things about George Mueller, he was known for getting up early and praying for his needs. 
But in one of his books, he taught this. He said, the first thing I do is I read the scriptures because I don't know what to pray until I've read the Bible. So George Mueller, the one who has known, at least in you know the last several hundred years, more than just about anyone else for receiving answers to prayer, the reason he received answers to prayer is because he was praying the word of God. God has promised to keep his word. And so when we go to the Lord and we ask him, Lord, remember your word. Remember your word. What does that do? It aligns us with God's word. We know what to pray for because we're praying God's word. And then God will always fulfill his word. He will always keep his word. And so that's what the psalmist is praying for here. Notice what it says again in verse 49. Remember the word unto thy servant. Now notice what it says. Upon which thou hast caused me to hope. There's an interesting thing here. He doesn't say, remember all I have done for you. God, you don't understand. I have sacrificed everything for you. I've given up, you know, you you hear what people say that they gave up. You know, I, I heard a guy one time say, yeah, I gave up a career in basketball and I'd seen him play. No, you didn't. Nobody was going to pay you to play basketball. (laughs) There's just not a chance, right? That'd be like me saying, yes, I gave up my career as a male model. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of call for short, fat models, right? For that that pear-shaped line of clothing. People have this idea... That they that that they've given something, given up for something for the Lord, and so God owes me so much. That's not what the psalmist prays. He doesn't remind God of his personal service. He reminds God of God's promise to him in His Word. I love that, and that's what we need to do. He doesn't say, "Remember my service to you." He says, "Remember Thy Word to me." So first, remember the Word. And then, uh, look at, again, this is from verse 49. Remember the word upon which thou hast caused me to hope. Remember the word upon which thou hast caused me to hope. Why would God cause us to hope in his word? Hope in his word. Listen to Psalm, or to, to Romans 15, 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. So God has caused us to hope in his word. And so what are you hoping in? What do you find comfort from? You know, the the worldly man finds his comfort in his wallet. Right? The, The miser finds his comfort in my wallet, in his wallet. And he says, this is my comfort. The drunkard finds his comfort in the glass, and he cries, this is my comfort. The partier finds their comfort in their frivolity, and it's very difficult for someone who's, whose whole life is, is involved in that lifestyle. They get home, and they're quiet, and there's no comfort in that. For the believer, our comfort is in the Word. Our comfort is in the Word of God. I can say that this is my hope. I can believe this. One of the reasons we can trust the Bible, you know, we talk about that MAPS acronym, manuscripts, uh, manuscript evidence, archaeological discoveries, uh, prophecies fulfilled, statistical probability. One of the reasons that we believe the Bible is true, remember in Isaiah 49, it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, declaring the end from the beginning. 
why do we trust the Bible? Because the prophecies that have been fulfilled in the Bible are beyond human construction. It's a supernatural book. We can trust it. We can hope in it. And when the Bible tells us what is coming in the future, we can believe it. I think it was our first Sunday back as a church after the COVID shutdown. And remember, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are still shut down. Right? I'm thankful that we get to gather together and worship here in this place. But if you remember, the, the, the sermon was basically everything that God has told us about the future. is We can, we can believe it now. You know, all my life I've heard about the rapture and the one world government and, and the one world economic system. And, but even we as Christians, we wonder how can that happen because there's so much division in the world. Well, through the COVID shutdown, we find out it takes about two weeks. Right? You've got a little 80-year-old doctor telling everybody what to do. One man ruling the world. Crazy, isn't it? What does that tell us? Everything God has told us about the future is true. We can trust it. We can hope in his word. And, and they're, they're, we're going to deal with a little bit more of that in a minute. The other thing that I want you to know is that hope in God's word is the work of the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't know about you, but you can't trust in something you don't know. Amen? You can't trust in something that you don't know. You can't trust in the promises of God from his word about you if you don't know what they are. Last week and often we mentioned that people get frustrated in the Christian life because God doesn't do something for them that he never promised to do. He never said he would do that for you. There are people that think that they're frustrated because they're not wealthy. Well, God never promised to make you wealthy. Right? There are some people that they, they, they don't have career advancement and they're frustrated with God because of that. Well, God never promised you career advancement. What he did promise you is that whatever your circumstance of life, he will be with you and he will comfort you and he will strengthen you and he will help you and he will instruct you through his word. That's what he has promised. But if you don't resort to that word, if you don't dive into that word and study it and understand it and take off the world's glasses and put on biblical glasses, if you refuse to do that, then you'll never understand the comfort of the scriptures. You'll never understand the hope that comes from it. Spurgeon said, if we hope upon his word, we have a sure basis to build upon. Our gracious Lord will never mock us by exciting false hopes. Read that last statement again. The Lord will never mock us by exciting false hopes. Let the Lord remember his promise, and the promised act is as good as done. So again, verse 49, remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. Verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. So remember, comfort and affliction. And I want you to notice, really, very interesting. Look at verse 50 again. This is whose comfort? Is there anyone awake in here? Verse 50. This is my comfort. So it's wonderful when we hear someone testify about the comfort of the Scriptures that they have experienced, but is this your comfort? Is this your personal individual comfort. The other thing that I want you to see, this is my affliction. You see what it says? This is my comfort in my 
affliction. Now, I don't know if you're in affliction right now or not. Some of you might be thinking, this sermon is an affliction to me. I hope it ends very soon. This is my comfort in my affliction. Again, so this is Old Testament, I understand. But as we look back, as we said, Paul said, uh, consider what I say and the Lord give the understanding in all things. We saw Romans 15, 4, where all of these things that are written in old times are written for our comfort and that we might have hope. That's what they're there for. When you do have affliction, there's an answer to your affliction. And it's given in the scriptures. You might not get it from friends. You might not get it from society. You might not get it from anything that you have experienced. But I promise you this. You can get that comfort from the scriptures. It is there in your affliction. Remember, comfort and affliction. It's so important. The Apostle Paul, he said, For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You see, the comfort of our future doesn't come from our behavior. The comfort of our future, the hope of eternal life, comes from the Word of God. Now, notice again what it says in verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Remember, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God which liveth and abideth forever. You see, if the Bible is not true, then our salvation is not real. If the Bible is not sure, then our salvation is not sure. If there is no hope in the Word of God, then there is no hope for the future. And I'm very thankful that I have hope for the future because God tells me what my future is. These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. How many of you are glad your salvation is not based on your behavior? Hallelujah. Now, th- this is really good. How many of you are glad that your salvation is not based on my behavior. See, I don't have the power to forgive your sin. I don't have the power to open the doors of heaven. I only have the power to proclaim the word of God and you choose to believe it and receive it or reject it. And that's individual soul liberty. It's on you what you do with it. And I'm so thankful that my salvation is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Not on my behavior, not on our church membership. I've told you I was preaching in Texas with Dalton Robertson, and he said there are more Baptists in Texas than will be in heaven. Being a Baptist never took anybody to heaven. Amen? It's only the blood of Jesus Christ. This is, this is good. Here's Spurgeon again. Comfort is desirable at all times, but comfort in affliction is like a lamp in a dark place. Some are unable to find comfort in tribulation, but it is not so with believers, for their Savior has said to them, I will not leave you comfortless. Some have comfort and no affliction. Others have affliction and no comfort. But the saints have comfort in their affliction. We don't need to look for drugs. We don't need to look for anything other than the Word of God. Praise God for that. So, remember... Remember, first of all, the word. Remember the word upon which thou hast caused me to hope. Remember comfort and affliction. And this is good. Remember God's law in the face of the proud. Look at verse 51. The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not inclined from thy law. Boy, man, we live in a world that is so proud, so proud in thumbing their nose at God, so proud in rejecting absolute truth. 
so proud in rejecting the God who created the world. They look at us and they say, well, you believe, you might as well believe in the flying spaghetti monster. That, that they're so arrogant, they're so proud in their denunciation of everything that is true. Here's the good news. Here's what, here's what David wrote. Those proud people, what they were trying to do by having me in derision, they failed. Their arrogance, their, their mocking of our faith, their mocking of everything that we stand for, when you know that what you believe is true, then people can mock. The, this is one of Laura's favorite illustrations, and it's the, the businessman. He, he had heard about this amazing museum, and he had to get to the airport. So he had a cab drop him off in front and wait for him, and so he ran through the exhibits. Hardly had time to notice the frames, let alone the paintings in the frames. And as he was leaving, the security guard said to him, uh, what did you think of our museum? And he said, uh, it didn't impress me very much. And he said, sir, it is not the paintings that are on trial here. He had no ability to appreciate the beauty. And when we uphold Jesus, when we take Jesus Christ crucified, risen again, ascended to the right hand of the Father, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for his saints, and coming again in power and glory, when we make him big, when we make him great in our life, when we express who he is to the world, and the world says, that says nothing about Jesus, but it says a lot about the person who is rejecting him. And in our culture today, not only are they rejecting him, but they're arrogant and they're proud, and we are ignorant, flat earthers, and all of that. Uh, James Knox sent me a picture when we had the eclipse last summer. He sent me a picture of a flat earth eclipse. Have you seen that? It's the globe with a bar across it. It's a, a flat earth eclipse. That's what they think of us. But listen, we know who created the world. We know who talked about in the Bible the circle of the earth. We know what the Bible says, that the, that the life of the body is in the blood We know that there are currents, sea currents, because the Bible talks about the paths in the seas. We know about all of this science that's in the Bible. And uh, you know, I I love that from Psalm 139, where the Bible says that, that in his book are written all of my members. And Jesus Christ is the Word. And he's called the Word. And we're created in his image. And then the Bible says that if all the things that Jesus had done were, were written down, I suppose that all the books of the world couldn't contain it. And then you find out that on every cell of your body, there's a, a, a four billion letter word. And if you tried to write down the DNA sequence from every person in the world, the books of the world couldn't hold it. And Jesus Christ spoke that. He is the Word. And so the Bible has that information 700 years before Christ. And these people arrogantly say, where do you have your truth? Give me proof that God exists. And we submit to the Word of God and we exalt our Savior. And these proud people have us in derision. You poor, unenlightened ignoramus. And you know what we say? Go ahead. I trust in God's law. What are the books of the law? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And what does Genesis tell us? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We trust in it. 
We believe it. We have confidence in it. And so the scorners, those proud people that want to take us off our path, since we have no respect for them, they have no influence on us. We trust and we have hope in God's word. So we do not decline. Do you see see how it says it in verse 51? The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy law. That declining, going down, going down. I'm not going to decline. I'm going to believe every bit of God's law. That's what David said. Look at the next verse. Let me... This is, this will remind you some of last week's text. Verse 52. Remember the judgments. I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, o Lord and have comforted myself. You see that? Is he comforted in the promises or in the judgments in this verse? How many of you know there's a difference between promises and judgments? So remember those 10 words that we're looking at all through Psalm 119. Judgments are, we know what the law is, it's the law. We know what the word is, it's the word. We know what, we know what judgments are, those are the judges ruling on a matter. And the judgments are, and what it says, the judgments of old. What are these judgments? Well, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 that the thoughts of men were only evil. The thoughts and the imaginations of men's heart were only evil continually. So what did God did? He destroyed the world. How many of you would call that judgment? Wow. How about when Korah, and they rise up against Moses, and they're going to try to undermine God's man and God's leader for Israel. And what does God do? He opens up the earth, and it swallows them up. How many of you would call that? judgment how about when when the armies came against israel and 180,000 of them woke up dead right one angel how many of you would call that judgment and you know what god says i want you to take that judgment and look back on it i want it to feel like a nice warm comforter around you on a cold day We've looked at it in Sunday school, Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Are the heathen raging right now? Are they imagining a vain thing? What's the vain thing they're imagining? That police go out every day to kill black people. That's what they're imagining. It's not true. How many of you know that that's not true? They're imagining a vain thing. And you look at what's going on in the world, and you look at different political leaders and the things that they're uniting in. How many of you saw that in California... They just, the lawmakers just passed a, 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 a law in California, and I'm going to use very careful language that's only for the adults here, that would affect the way that adults interact with children. Is that the heathen raging? Remember, we talk about the return to paganism, how that Christianity has elevated the protection of children, how Christianity has elevated the place of the woman in society. Because in paganism, might is right. Anything that I want to do with anyone else, if I have the power to accomplish that, it's okay. Listen, let the world talk about hierarchy. Let the world talk about privilege. What's happening is the protection that we give children against immorality and against abuse is being removed in those cultures. 
And I look at that, and I don't know about you guys, how many of you seeing a child treated that way, that, that there's something righteous and holy that comes up in you? There's a righteous and holy anger and a desire to protect these little ones. Help me out here. Do any of you men have that? Any of you ladies have that? Any mama bears out there? That's not, listen, that's not from nature. That's not from culture. That's from God. And Jesus said, suffer the little ones to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, if anyone offends one of these little ones, it's better that a millstone be tied about his neck and that he'd be cast in the sea. Why is that better? Why would that be better? Because God's judgment on those things is eternal. You see, one of the things that happens in modern Christianity is that when that righteous anger comes up in us, The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, be angry and sin not. It doesn't say don't be angry. How many of you think when Jesus Christ was cleansing the temple, remember, he made a a, a whip of cords and he emptied that place out. Thousands of people, one man in the flesh, Jesus Christ in the flesh, he drove all those people out. How many of you think maybe there was some anger there or was he just, okay, everybody, just time to go. I just don't like this. I'm just telling you, he must have been quite a man. Do you know what we need in our culture right now? Some righteous and holy anger and some men to stand up and say, not here, not now, not in my presence, not in this place. But we have a Christian culture that somehow they think that's not Christian. Hold your place here. Go to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. When Jesus Christ returns in flaming fire and taking vengeance, you know what God's people do? They admire that. Why? Because do you know what that judgment does is it reveals the righteous and holy glory of our creator. The God of this world. The one who stepped out on the edge of nothing and spoke everything into existence. Who said, be ye holy for I am holy. The one who said, I will not give my glory to another. Notice our text. Go back to Psalm 119 verse 51 or verse 52. I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Let me tell you something. The Bernie Sanders of this world they might not receive judgment in this world. You know, the socialist that has three houses. 
right? These liars that, that, that what they're trying to do is destroy Western culture. And remember what Marxism is. Marxism is a rejection of God. Fundamentally, it's a rejection of God and God's rules. That's, that's the foundation of Marxism. And we look at the world and we say, my goodness, the heathen are raging. The media is controlled by people who hate us and hold us in derision. The world is being ruled by evil, more and more evil people. I'll tell you something interesting. How many of you have seen the pedophile rings that are being wrapped up? Have you seen that in the news? Isn't it interesting that Jeffrey Epstein's partner is in custody and is testifying and all of a sudden all of these pedophiles are being caught? Isn't that interesting? So at the same time, while we're wrapping up these pedophile rings by people who believe in in law and order, we have other people removing the laws, prohibiting those things. And we look at it and say, how can we ever win that battle? Well, we're not going to win the battle against evil. What may... Where did God promise you that you were in this life going to win the battle against evil? What he said is, wait for me. Occupy till I come. I'm coming. And what do we do? We hope in his righteous judgment to come by looking at the righteous judgment in the past. And it gives us comfort. I was just talking with somebody this week that's frustrated by the world. And I said, you know what you need to do? I said, I've got a good book on hell. You need to read it. You can have some real comfort by the realization that hell is hot and that it is forever. Death and hell are going to be cast into that lake of fire and they will receive that torment in their body. The thing that we have to remember when we look at the world and we say, man, I try to vote and I try to do right and I try to live a holy life, but the heathen are still raging. That It's growing and it's getting worse and worse. Well, didn't God say that? Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We should, not be, we should not be surprised by that. We should be encouraged by, God, your word is true. Everything you said about the world is true. I've seen that you have judged in the past, and you're promising to judge in the future. I love you. I love righteousness. I love your word. Man, it's comforting to know that I don't have to go out and kill anybody. I preach the gospel. I give people the truth. I tell them, look, you've got hell coming. You need to repent. Man, there's comfort in that. I don't know about you guys, but right now, my righteous indignation is be, it, it's going off the charts. I have to be careful how much news I take in because it's so offensive to everything that a Christian man would hold to. What is the comfort in that? The comfort in that is there is a God. You know, there are many Jews that, that walked away from God because of the Holocaust. They need to understand that those SS guards, they're in, they, they have fallen into the hands of a righteous God. What do you think is going to happen to people that violate God's people? There's comfort. There's comfort. Look at the text. I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Look at verse 53. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Let me challenge you about something. I think it was Bo and I that were talking. How many of you have noticed it seems like Christians don't want to stand against evil anymore? You know, um, that Lauren Daigle refuses to comment on homosexuality. 
is God unclear about that or has God placed judgment on that subject? How many of you believe that God has declared, he has, he has judged that and found it to be an abomination? How many of you know that? Is that unclear? Is that unclear? Why, why do we have these Christians, so-called, I hope she's saved, why do we have these Christians that are afraid? Because they no longer view evil as evil. And do you know why I think that is? Remember, Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And what does he say? Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, for I have seen the Lord. Why are they incapable of judging? The Bible tells us, you know, the Bible tells us to judge sin, right? Why are modern Christians incapable of making those judgments? Because they've stopped seeing the Lord high and lifted up. They see a God that is like them. And our God is completely separate. The Bible describes Jesus as separate from sinners. Separate from sinners. He is without sin. God cannot even look at sin. And so Jesus Christ shed his blood so that when he sees me, he sees the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because I don't have any righteousness of my own. There's no way that we can understand the wonder of salvation without understanding the awfulness of sin. And when we see the Lord high and lifted up and we are inclined to his law, not declined from it, then we find comfort in that judgment. Remember, look at our text from last week. It says in verse 48, my hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. Those are the rules. The statutes are the rules that are established from God's commandments. I'm going to meditate in those statutes. Go to verse 54. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Well, we understand this pilgrimage better than David could. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we have here no continuing city. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasure's laid up somewhere beyond the blue. How many of you are glad Jesus is coming back to get us? Amen? Man, that's who we are. Let's find comfort in his judgments. Now remember, as believers, how many of you are glad you can't lose your salvation? Amen? But you will bear in your body the results of your sin because God has built consequences into the universe. So let's do this. Let's meditate in his statutes. Let's incline ourselves toward his laws. Let's live in awareness of his glory, holiness, righteousness, purity, the white hot light of his existence in contrast to the darkness of this world. And what will that give us? It will give us hope. Man, when we look at the world right now, we're going to get discouraged. When we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? Are you saved today? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You know, you young people, uh, the, Brother Moore was talking with us about needing help in Portugal. Have you considered that? Have you considered a life of missions and a life of Christian service? 
Or is your hope, are you like the, the miser that I described a minute ago, that your hope is in your money? Your hope is in your career. Your hope is in, in, in worldly acceptance. Or have you, each and every one of you, have you said, Lord, I give myself completely to you. If you want me on the mission field, I'll go. If you want me to be a pastor, I'll go. Have you surrendered to that? See, we're afraid. We're afraid that if we surrender to the Lord that he's going to send us to the worst part of the world. Well, he'll send you to the worst part of the world if he places that in your heart and that's what you want to do. Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do you have a desire, a heart, to give your life completely to him? Or are you looking for the acceptance and pleasure of the world? Not all of you are destined to be a, 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 are called to be a missionary or a preacher. But you ought to be willing. It's an awful thing for a guy that's not called to be a preacher to preach. I know some preachers that probably were not called. Amen, Brother Bo? How many of you ever heard a preacher that probably should not be preaching? You ever heard that? Some of you are thinking, yes, for about the last 40 minutes. Let's give ourselves completely to the Lord. Some of you school teachers, you're going to retire. What are you going to do for the rest of your life? How about you go to Portugal and teach in a Christian school for a little while and help a ministry? Have you considered that? Have you considered giving yourself to the Lord? If you're willing to give yourself to the Lord. Now, you're not, I'm not saying you're going to go to Portugal. But you're willing to say, Lord, I trust you with my life. Let's all stand. Let's say, Lord, you're my Savior. I love you. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you might be thinking, that, that someone wrote me this in a letter, you're the, you're the angriest preacher I've ever heard. I do get angry about child molestation. Chopping up babies, things like that. Yeah, that, that makes me angry. Man, don't let that be the heartbeat of what you heard today. I want you to understand that there's a righteous and holy God who sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay for your sin and my sin. And either you'll experience, you will either experience that holy wrath of God for all eternity, or you will experience the presence of God in comfort and love forever. Those are your two choices. That's the difference between heaven and hell. Heaven is wonderful because God is there. Hell is awful because all that is good, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variables nor shadow of turning. The reason hell is so awful is because the Bible says you are cast away from the presence of God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Eternal life in heaven is a gift that is received as a gift. Confessing your sin and trusting Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. If you reject that, that judgment that I have described is on you. You're not waiting to be condemned. The Bible says you're condemned already. But you can come out from under that condemnation by believing in Jesus Christ and receiving that free gift of eternal life. If you're not saved today, let today be the day of salvation for you. And the rest of us, let's find comfort in the judgment of of God. We have a righteous and holy God. Let's worship him. Amen. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I, like the song says, when this poor lisping tongue lies silent in the grave, 
Lord, this poor lisping tongue as I try to communicate your word, I know that I don't do it justice.